we're in the uh, series, uh, and we're actually going to finish that series today. Uh, some of you will be glad to know. Uh, uh, called Steps of Faith, From the Known to the Unknown. And what we've been really exploring over now, I think it's been 11 or 12 weeks, uh, are the lives of the ancients, these men and women in the scriptures, whose lives and stories bear witness to what life with God is like. Um, and we've been drawn from particularly the book of Hebrews. Um, the, the author of that book is unknown. Um, uh, but there's this roll call, particularly in chapter 11, as you will know, um, of all these men and women who have lived a life with God. In fact, Hebrews 12 calls these, these people a great cloud of, of witnesses. And you have the story of Cain and Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joseph and Rahab, right through the prophets, to Jesus himself, who's, what we're going to talk about today is, is Jesus. You're in church, we're going to talk about Jesus today. Um, we have these great cloud of witnesses who the Hebrews 12 says ran the race before us, kind of cheering us on in our faith and that's kind of the image of what faith really is like. It's a, a race or a journey. Uh, it's not a set of complete answers. It's not a set of certitude. Um, but it's this life with God. Faith doesn't incubate us from struggle. It doesn't incubate us from trial. But it's a participation in life with God. And we find God journeying with us in the midst of even our greatest fears and doubts and our struggle. That is what faith is. Anne Lamott says it really well. The opposite of faith, and I've used this quote uh, every week, is not doubt. The opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Because certainty misses the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness, the discomfort, and letting it be there until some light returns. So faith is... Being in the midst of life, it's ups, it's downs, it's hopes, it's doubts. And this definition that I've kind of been using is that faith is the participation in the story of God despite life, despite the unknown of life. Faith is a choosing to participate in this unveiling story of God that we get to be a part of. And um, that is the place where deep trust is cultivated, deep trust in God, where, where our stories find a home in the story of God, where our stories find a home in the story of God. Eugene Peterson says, when we submit our lives to what we read in Scripture, we find that we're not being led to see God in our story, but our stories in God's. So we don't make this thing up. We're, we're gathering here to the church this morning in Redeemer, and there's churches all across our city, across our land, across this world gathering. And Christianity's not made up. It's this received faith, this journey. And these ancient men and women, these cloud of witnesses, they've participated in that story, and they bear witness to this life of faith that we're part of. So we're choosing to believe. We're choosing to participate. Faith is choosing to participate in that story, despite life around us. But there's a question I want us to ask today, which is kind of an obvious one. Um, what exactly was their faith in? <laughs> we have faith. What, what, the story of God, yes, but was it 
was, was it vague? Was it simply a sense of something bigger than ourselves? And I don't mean to necessarily demean that, because that might be the definition of faith for some of you here today. That's not what I mean at all, but I, I mean to include that. But also, I'm, I guess, what does it mean to kind of be faithful to the story that these ancient men and women bear witness to from our place in history, from this side of the cross? Um, what does it mean to be faithful? And we want to explore that. So I want to read three verses from Hebrews 12. If you have a paper Bible, the paper Bible in front of you, you also maybe have a Bible app. It'll be on the screen. I'd love us to read these verse, these verses in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. So Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by, that phrase again, such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Beautiful passage. I was brought up in the church. That's something that I actually give thanks for. I was brought up uh, as an evangelical Baptist. You can forgive me for that. That was my upbringing. I'm really, really thankful for it. As part of my upbringing, maybe this, maybe this is something that your story uh, you brought up in, in church. Um, uh, part of my part of, part of the upbringing was going along to Sunday school. I don't know. Hands up if you ever attended Sunday school at any point. <laughs> there we go. Northern Irish Christianity for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. Christendom's not dead, apparently. <laughs> I love the quiz bit. Do you remember the quiz bit? There was questions, and then you kind of got a prize. Don't know what the prize was. For some, it might have been a sweet, or for others, it might have been a token that you saved up and spent it on some religious good at the end of the year in the Bible shop or something. And you answer a question, and you would feel so proud if you got the answer right. You'd walk up as a really super spiritual six-year-old to the front in front of all your peers and feel like you, you, know, you know the Bible inside out, because there's always Bible questions. <laughs> Except there was a few times in the quiz where the kind of the questions expanded out beyond Bible questions. So who was the first man on the moon? Hands shot up. Answer from some kid. Jesus! Who's the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom? Hands shot up. Yes, you. Jesus, <laughs> who invented the light bulb, hands all shoot up. Four-year-old at the front. Jesus, <laughs> apparently invented the light bulb. No matter the question, the first answer was always, always Jesus. And as you grew up older in Sunday school, it became the running joke. As you watched some of the, the young, you kind of got wise to this, and you watched the younger children shoot their hands up with gusto and scream, Jesus, because Jesus is the answer to every question. Maybe in some ways that is actually prophetic. Um, <laughs> it feels in a way like today, I'm kind of pitching that to us. We've had this series, and there's these lives, complex lives of men and women, these ancient people who have tethered themselves, participated in this story, 
Jewish men and women, the story of Israel. And it kind of feels predictable that I'd get up here and, you know, wrap it all up by giving you the Sunday school answer and say, well, it was all about Jesus. And in a sense, that's true. But it kind of feels like I'm proverbially just shooting my hand up and going, Jesus. And in a sense, I want to talk about Jesus today. It's predictable in that sense. It's even instinctual. It's kind of like a filler answer. Jesus, you know, um, of course it is. We're in church. We're we're Christians. Um, I'm a pastor. (laughs) So we're going to talk about, about Jesus. And being the final talk in the series, it feels like, wrapping that up and maybe you feel like it's just like putting a bow on it and it's kind of just it's very neat and you know okay Jesus next let's move on what's the next series but I do want to talk about Jesus and Ian and Fra and what we've been doing this morning in our worship has been leading us to center on Jesus as the center as the source as the life and the prayer that we've wanted to use today has been to Jesus be our be the fire be the wind in these seals, be the reason that we live. And how could I talk about Jesus today? I could go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter one. I could go there and we could, we could look at the genealogy and we could connect Jesus to the ancients. We could look at how he was the son of Abraham, as he was described as the son of David, as he's in the lineage of these two significant biblical figures, how he came to be the Messiah of Israel. What does that mean? It means the one that God promised would defeat evil and bring good, bring shalom back to the world. The one that would overthrow the Roman authorities and deliver them from the empire. By coming from the line of David and Judah, Jesus would fulfill the meaning of Messiah. I could go there, we could do that. We could talk about Jesus in that way, and that's true. Go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and we could look at John the Baptist whose whole life was pointing and heralding this Jesus of Nazareth, peasant man as, well, he says it, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus goes on to describe John the Baptist as the greatest of all men ever born. There's something, we could talk about that and what it meant for Jesus to be the the deliverer, and not only to forgive the world from its sins, but to deliver the people of Israel from the hand of oppression from the Roman Empire and to bring shalom on earth again. We could talk about Jesus fulfilling the promise of God in Eden. In Genesis, when we see that evil had come and there was this promise given that the Messiah's heel would strike down the head of the serpent, the head of the evil, when Jesus came to defeat evil. We could talk about, about that, about how Jesus has gained ultimate power over death and evil and, and dealt evil a, a final blow. We could talk about Jesus that way. I could go to Mary Magdalene and we could talk about how she saw Christ as, as God of grace and cracked open the perfume at his feet and worshipped Jesus. We could go to Mary in the garden post-resurrection and we could talk about where in her grief and confusion she met Jesus uh, thinking he was the gardener and he reveals himself by saying her name and wipes away her tears. We could talk about Jesus by going to the story of Peter at the end of John. After Peter had denied Christ, after living with Christ for three years plus, he then denies him around a fire in the courtyard. 
before his death. And, and at the end of John, we see this beautiful, probably one of my, my favorite passages of scripture on the beach when Jesus cooks his disciples breakfast and takes John and Peter on a walk and specifically talking to Peter, restores him and says, feed my sheep. You'll be the rock upon which I will build the church. We could go there and we could talk about Jesus in that. We could go to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians and who is bringing theology into this new movement of God and connects Jesus to Yahweh, to creator God and describes Jesus, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, one God, the Jewish people had one God, monotheistic, and yet Paul is doing something amazing when he goes on to say, from whom all things are made and we exist for him and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through him. The theology of Paul saying that we, we live and we move and we breathe because of Christ. He is the word that upholds the very cosmos. There's lots of theology we could unpack there. We could even go to, and I forgot the book because I had a couple of books to recommend, but there'll be a slide. We could go to Jesus in Luke 24 who, who traveled the Emmaus Road with, yeah, we'll get it up later. Actually, it's okay. I'll refer to it later. Who traveled the, the Emmaus Road with two disillusioned disciples. We could go to Jesus' words himself and he walks the way, away, going away from Jerusalem and Jesus in the, in the midst of confusion, these disciples were disillusioned with all that had happened. Jesus had died. And Jesus himself lovingly, patiently, kindly walks them through the scriptures and shows them how that all of scripture points to him. Uh, the scripture says, I'm beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He, Jesus, explained to them what had been said in all the scriptures concerning him. We could go to that story I could also go to my own story and I kind of want to talk about Jesus and bear witness to Christ as the bread of life and as the source of hope and healing. Like my personal testimony, my refuge and my shepherd, these biblical language that I'm using, putting words to experiences, and you will have those experiences too. I see Christ as my Savior, my, my Lord, my, my Redeemer, my High Priest, the one I come to who bring, makes a way, like as Ian was saying, makes a way to God for us. And I'm still learning about what all that means too, and I can bear witness to him as my rescuer and as, as my light, as my, as my guide, as my North Star. I, I want to go, I think, in addition, just I want to use the words that we read in Hebrews 12, the words of the writer of the Hebrews, whoever that may be, in these verses, and there's kind of like two phrases that stand out to me, fix your eyes on Jesus, and then this other phrase, which I'd love to leave with you, which is in verse three, and it's two words, consider him. Consider him. Consider him. Let's read that verse again. Consider him who endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Anyone a little bit weary today or maybe losing heart? The, the writer of the Hebrews says, consider him. I'm just 
back from a lovely holiday in France, and uh, Beth and Owen and I got to visit a number of beautiful cities. We were um, in the southwest of France, and we visited Biarritz, and we visited Bayonne, and we visited Bordeaux. We visited San Sebastian in Spain. We went to a little village, which is called saint jean pied de port which is the start of what some of you will know as the Camino, the kind of Christian pilgrimage. Went to the village where that starts, and those people who were beginning the Camino and people who were not ending the Camino, but ending a pilgrimage to get to the start of the, <laughs> lots of people coming in and going out. And we got to experience a bit of French culture and eat lots of croissants. And it was, it was a lovely time. And when we were in these places, particularly I'm thinking about Bordeaux because it was such a huge city. There's just such hustle and bustle and things happening and we're doing things on holiday and we're going places and seeing places and you kind of like look around, there's so many agendas and narratives and scripts that people are living by and it's just so much noise. And then there were these moments, like very, very tiny little moments in our day, you know, when we did the touristy thing and we went into like the cathedral in Bordeaux with the cathedral in San Sebastian or the cathedral in Beirut. And we, and with our backpacks on like everyone else, with, you know, we walk in and it's like a different world. It kinda, it's like it's a carved out in the middle of the hustle bustle. There's this holy place, this sacred place. And we got a few minutes to walk around that and learn a little bit. But there was one particular cathedral in Bordeaux where I sat just for a few minutes and got time just to like reflect and think and I guess consider him. Because at the center of above the altar was this cross that was suspended by wire and images of Christ everywhere and I was considering Christ and I mean the context of this consideration is that all that I've just described, okay? But also all of the stuff that's going on in our news cycle as well. You know, like the lack of integrity and in leadership, even at government level, and the mess of the world, and everyone who thinks they have an answer to life's problems, trying to push you and sell you on an eight-week course for $99.99 or whatever it might be. And they're just in the middle of this cathedral. I, I see Christ, and I, it just struck me again. Like, it's so compelling. Christ is so compelling to me. And like it, it is Christ that tethers us to this story more than anything else. The church lets us down. People let us down. But Christ, there's something different about Christ. The way he carried himself, the way he was a leader servant-heartedly, the way he laid down his life, life for his friends, the, the whole thing, it's, it's just worth considering. I, I guess I don't, Considering the one who was rejected, the scripture says there, so that you don't lose hope or grow weary. I guess if, if you're feeling like you're rejected yourself and you read those words, consider him who, in a sense, is the big W word of God, the face of the divine who was rejected, if even he can be rejected in your trial, in your tribulation, in, in your moment of weariness, Consider him who, who faced that nearly on our behalf and led us and showed us a way into life. I guess I don't know what level your hope is at today. I don't know the details of all of your stories or the stories in this room. I don't know the depth of maybe the disappointments or the disillusionments 
or maybe there's not a lot of them, maybe there's, there's green pastures, because the God story doesn't just meet us in the desolation, it meets us in the green pastures. <laughs> he is a good shepherd, as David poetically wrote, who leads us into green pastures, but I don't, know the, I don't know where the levels of your hope are today. I don't know what you would have expected, like John the Baptist and the people, would, what they expected of Christ, or those disciples on the road away from Jerusalem after Jesus had been killed, and how expectations had been dashed, even destroyed, obliterated. I don't know whether you've expected and you've been let down what you've hoped for, what you maybe might still hope for. I guess this is a very simple Sunday school message today in that sense. Because I want to leave with us the words of the Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews who says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. Consider him. Meditate on him. Is he the one who sends the storm? No, he's the one who calms the storm. Is he the one who causes famines? No, he feeds the hungry. Is he the one who inflicts sickness? No, he heals the sick. Is he the one who shuns sinners? No, he welcomes sinners. Consider him. Is he the one who condemns the guilty? No, he saves them. Is he the one who blames the afflicted? No, he shows them mercy. Is he the one who resents human pleasure? No, he turns water to wine. Is he the one who always takes our side in hostilities? No, he humanizes the other side. Is he the one who kills his enemies? No, he forgives his enemies. Is he the one with revenge on his mind? No, he comes with words of peace. Consider him today. For without him, steps of faith from the known to the unknown are not possible. For he is all in all. He is the face of God who calls us friend. Consider him who is the image of the invisible God. Consider him who is the exact imprint of God's nature. Consider him who is perfect theology. Consider him who is divine love in action. Consider him who is the grace of God to you, the gift of God to you. Consider him where the God story is fulfilled. Consider Christ as the one in whom the promise that began with Abraham becomes fulfilled, a new family, a new society of God, a community of God, a family of God, which is being formed and created in him. Consider Christ as the one uh, W.B. Yeats called the uncontrollable mystery. <laughs> the one that Moses encountered in the burning bush. Consider him who is the liberator who leads us out of our exoduses. Consider him who lifts us out of the pit like Joseph. 
Consider him who takes the dream of God and makes it a reality. Consider him who, like David knew, is a good shepherd who leads us by still waters, who is our rescuer and our forgiver, who is the lover of our souls. Consider him who, through his kingdom, actually produces and is producing what the law and the prophets have tried, which is a just and a worshiping society where the kingdom of God has come and is here and is near. Consider Christ as the, as the one who God did not send to judge, but that the world through him might be saved. Consider Christ who is the one who invites us into his family as sons and as daughters. Consider him as the bringer of the kingdom of God where he is servant and Lord and deliverer. Consider him who described himself as the bread of life in whom no one hungers. Consider him who is the water of life in whom no one thirsts. Consider him who comes to bring peace at last. The one who wants to bring all wars to an end. Consider Christ as the face of the creator God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Moses, and David, the one, the one who we can understand now as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Consider him as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Consider him who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider whom he showed us that the way to be at the right hand of God is not to, to, to strive for it, but to lay down one's life for others, self-giving love. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow tired and weary today. I don't know where your levels of hope are today, but my encouragement is to consider Christ, consider him. Fix your eyes on him. Do not let yourself be distracted. To consider him who, despite where you are when you're looking for him, comes to find you. Consider him who walks with you in your valleys, in your unknowns, and invites himself to walk alongside you. Consider him whose burden is light and whose yoke is easy. Consider him as the way the way that we take steps of faith, the path, the journey. He is the way, the truth, the life. Consider him who invites the weary to come and he will give them rest. Consider him who experienced shame and rejection so that we can be free from it. Consider him who holds, as Revelation says, the very keys of life who has defeated our greatest enemy, death itself. Consider him who's working to deliver each of us from all of the paper cuts of death every day on our souls, who comes to saturate our souls with grace and love and healing and to deliver us from the grips of depression, anxiety, disconnection, isolation, desolation, disappointment. He is the source of life. He wants to bring life and life to the full, to fill us up to overflowing, where we are welcomed 
where we're welcomed at a table, where we're given dignity, where we're forgiven, where we're called sons and daughters. And not only are we given a place at the table, but we're given a work to do. We're given a work to do. We're to participate in the story of faith, to, to, to continue on the mission of Christ in the world, to live his way, to bring his kingdom, to work for peace and healing and shalom and to trust, to trust in him, place our trust in him despite the unknown. In a sense, the four-year-old and the five-year-old and the six-year-old in my Sunday school class is probably more right than we maybe would have thought. Because in some way, Christ is the answer. And as the writer of Hebrews, I think, invokes us, encourages us, fix your eyes on Christ and consider him so that you don't grow tired and weary, consider him. We're going to continue to consider him by coming to his table. So I'd love you to stand, and I'd love to invite Fra and Caitlin to come, and they're going to lead us in a song. Please do stand here to your feet. I did mention a couple of books, and then I didn't mention them. On our website, redeemercentral.com slash summer, there's some recommended reading that maybe you want to pick up just to read over summer. And those middle two books are particularly for those who feel weary and feel tired today to help us begin to fix our eyes on Christ. So check that out if you want to kind of go further with what we've been talking about today. But I'd love, uh, maybe Matt will put up on the screen this quote from Jonathan Martin. Because I want to kind of center us on the table of Christ with this quote today. What does this meal have to do with all that we've talked about today? This is the table where we get to consider him, the one who lays before us a table. And Jonathan Martin, he puts this so well, describing faith and life and participation with God as this, that this fits the pattern of how God responds to human suffering, that we come looking for answers God sends a hot meal through a warm body. We come looking for reasons for our hunger. God sends provision to feed us. We come looking for a sermon that will explain the complexity of the cosmos to, to saturate our desire for understanding. And Christ responds with, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. People try to offer us an explanation, but God gives us a Eucharist. And I would go on to say that God gives us himself. God gives us Christ. God gives us Christ. And so Redeemer today, no matter where you are on your journey, whether you feel like you're in the fog of the unknown, whether you feel like you're on those green pastures in your faith, fix your eyes on Christ. He is the one that will not let us down. And let us come to this table, and as we do, we get the taste of grace today. We get to participate in this story of forgiveness and hope that he provides our needs. He's forgiven us, that he has welcomed us, that he has given us a name in his family. And so as we break bread and, and drink the wine today, we remember his life, his death, his resurrection, and his, the hope of his work in our lives. If you're 
new here today, we do communion like a click and collect, as we like to say. So when Fran, Caitlin lead us in song worship, please do begin to come. As soon as the song begins, come forward and take a bread and take a wine and return to your table and hold it. And after the song, I'd love to lead us in a, a prayer and a liturgy to center us on this table and to fix our eyes on Christ as we finish our worship today. Over to you, Fra.